Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is the fifth episode of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. Along with many other fine podcasts, you will find Saskatchewan Matters on the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. My name's Dan Gold, and on each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. The times that we live in are interesting in terms of some people would say we've never had so many freedoms, as many freedoms as we have now, and other people would say we've never been so tethered or controlled all in the same time, and it's a matter of perspective and how how your cards have been dealt. So firstly, Paul, lovely to have you back, but where do you go with, with freedoms? You know, it's a tough subject, and you're right, Dan, that we are hearing a lot about that uh, these days. We've just been through a federal election campaign, and uh, you know, pretty much every day you see a protest of some kind uh, about the the vaccine and whether it should be mandatory or is it a freedom uh, that I have the right to not do it. Uh, you can't tell me government what to do. Uh, across the line in the U.S., you're seeing the debate over uh, the right to carry a concealed firearm. You're seeing it in the abortion debate. Uh, we saw it. You know, it's just, it's almost on every street corner. And you're right. It's like we're testing uh, this stuff right now as a society. And, you know, I'm far from any kind of a legal expert, but, uh, you know, Dan, in our world, in the media, we talk about freedom of expression and uh, the right to, uh, to, to talk and that kind of stuff. So I thought it's not really a, a distinctly Saskatchewan matters kind of story, but it is one that uh, is affecting us every day. And I thought, you know, maybe it would be fun to reflect or useful to reflect on how we in the media talk about this and how we look at things such as freedom of expression. Now, this is not to be, uh, you know, so we're superimposed or, or to supplant uh, the arguments that will be around, you know, abortion rights or these kinds of things, but it's the one you and I deal with in the media. And I thought this might be helpful to talk about it. And so if you look at this notion of freedom of speech or freedom of expression. I think it's more of an American term than a Canadian one, but we did get it enshrined in the Constitution in Canada, so it is now part of what goes on here. And here's how we look at it. And if you look at Western institutions, democratic institutions in a a parliamentary-style democracy, you have really opposing sides. It's very much an adversarial kind of a, a concept where go to our primary institutions, go to the legislature, go to parliament, you have two high, two sides to the house. And, uh, the, you know, there's the majority and the minority side and they debate all day and they clash and the ideas are discussed in parliament and then decisions are made. And then you go to the courtroom and you have, you know, prosecution and defense, and they both bring in arguments, and then they clash, and someone, a judge or a jury, uh, determines which of those two has more weight, which one carries the, and, you know, there's lots of nuance around these things, but that's generally what we do. So in a Western society, we have the right to hold opposing viewpoints, and we call it freedom of expression or freedom of speech, but really what it means is the freedom to dissent. We don't need to hold a sort of monolithic view that government cannot tell us how to think that we have to uh, we have the right to actually hold a minority position a, a viewpoint and we not only have the right 
to have that and to think about that, but the right to express it as well. And so that's where the freedom of expression comes from. And and so when you talk about what's the role of the media in all of this, and the media is pretty much front and center on all of these things, covering these debates and protests and court cases, it's that we tend to look at it this way. We say one of the sort of fundamental rights that we hold very dear is the right to dissent. Well, our role as uh, in society as media is to protect that, is to actually not just uphold it, but to amplify it. So we amplify the minority uh, voice. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, you got the little old lady who's uh, got a tree in her front yard, and the city has determined that the tree's roots are starting to damage the, uh, the sewer system, so the tree has to come down. And the little old lady who has had this tree in her front yard for her entire life does not want to lose the tree, so she protests. And that is her right. But imagine she stands on the street corner on her block and yells, don't cut down my tree. Well, who hears her? Well, maybe a neighbor if they happen to be standing outside. But if she chains herself to that tree and the TV cameras show up and the newspaper with their photographers, uh, and then they disseminate that all around the community, then everyone in the town or the city or the whole region or even the country actually hears about this woman's complaint about the city's conduct towards her tree. So she then is her dissension or her dissenting voice is amplified by the media. So that's kind of the role that we see, uh, uh, we in the media see ourselves as holding. It's it's profound and fundamental to a democratic society. It's one of the things that, you know, we believe is kind of our right. So when you look at this, it's, a, it's an intriguing concept because, for example, you watch uh, coverage uh, of the legislature. So every day they have, uh, in our system, we have question period, and the, the premier is asked questions or the cabinet ministers are asked questions by the opposition. This is when the House is sitting. And the media then covers both the question and the response. Now, think about that theoretically. You're in an assembly where the minority voice, the opposition, is actually setting the agenda, setting the tone for the day of what the coverage is going to be that the media will cover. And that's how the, the parliamentary process and the performance of the two sides of the house is actually measured in the minds of the public because that's the only information we get. So why would the minority voice be the one that sets the agenda? And it's interesting. So if you look at, say, for example, committee structures within the legislature, they are populated on the basis of the population of the house. So uh, in Ottawa right now with a minority assembly, the government does not carry the day in those because they don't have enough seats to own uh, the, the committee process. In Saskatchewan these days with a majority government, then the government side over, you know, has more uh, sitting members on a, uh, on a committee so that when a vote comes to committee, the majority carries the day. So think about that. The minority voice sets the tone and the agenda and is heard, but at the end of the day, the majority carries the day. So when we watch the debate, for example, about uh, you know, mandatory COVID vaccines, the minority can be heard, but ultimately the majority carries the day. And that's sort of one of the things we're missing right now in this debate is that, you know, the, the governments have chosen not to impose, make it mandatory that everyone have the vaccine. They're making it kind of voluntary, but they're making it really awkward if you choose not to have it. Uh, because, you know, they're pretty much restricting everything you can do, or at least if, if you do want to do things, you have to show up with these proof of negative tests and that stuff, and they're making you actually have to pay for them now and stuff. And so we are having some debate right now as well about rights between 
employers and employers uh, on this thing. What is the right of the employee? What is the right of the employer? Governments have not been particularly uh, not particularly helpful in sorting that out, in my view. They've sort of said, uh, in Saskatchewan at least, the government has said, we'll mandate uh, employers to have the right, so they have the right without you know any fear of reprisal, to demand of their employees whether or not they have been vaccinated or not. But that's where it ends. If the employee says no, uh, and the employer says, well, then what, right? Uh, if I want you to have it, then do I fire you or you basically effectively resign? And do I owe you severance? Have you been terminated with cause or without cause? And the, the system, whether that's the government itself, the Labor Department, the Justice Ministry, we've had no instruction on this. It's very frustrating for employers. So when you get to the notion of rights, it's never just as crystal clear as you want. Yes, they're all embedded in constitutional-style documents, and yes, we all have them, but I guess this is the reason why we have lawyers in courts is to try to uh, determine these things and uh, trying to adjudicate and bring some understanding to them. But as we watch in the U.S. today, uh, you know, with uh, the ongoing court cases now that they have a new Supreme Court that is uh, sort of 5-4 leaning towards conservatives, uh, we're going to re-argue, re-litigate all those debates around abortions and uh, and gun rights. So uh, these things may be enshrined in some form of legislation or a constitution, but trust me, you can always argue them out again. So as we look at what's going on with uh, COVID, uh, I mean, we have rights in all of this. They're just we're just not 100% clear on you know exactly how they're all going to fall down but if you're on either side you're probably sitting there wondering you know why doesn't everybody see the light well it's the light is kind of shaded on this one and i hope that maybe just discussing the freedom of expression piece actually helps people understand how nuanced these things are i think it takes us back to the the classic phrase of truth there's three versions of any truth around a situation there's your truth my truth and then the observable truth from the third party and that observable truth is something that then comes in from you know the legal profession the courts etc arbitration etc but also in the sense of if we look at it in terms of media there's those who are in power then the underdog and then the wider audience or the community being that third observer of well where does the truth lie and then there being judgment do you think that there is in this digital age a period that we're living through where we're also figuring out roles and responsibilities when it comes to discourse through social media on top of broadcast and print media and the reason i ask this is with the cbc's recent experiment long-term experiment now where they've disabled commenting on social media posts as along with on their websites they're removing some of the negativity around stories and allowing the story to breathe and percolate before people just fire off commentary yeah it's an interesting point because uh, at at what point does you know who gets to be the the arbitrator of all of this who gets to be the judge and you know you describe the three levels of truth i think uh, many reporters will tell you that they really don't pursue the truth because it's it's too widely interpreted as you rightly point out there are different views of the truth i mean there's a reason we have video replay in sports because everybody has a different view of what actually just happened but look at it from the context of of 
the abortion debate's a really good one. If you're at this end of the spectrum, you fundamentally believe that's the truth. And if you're at the other end of the spectrum, you fundamentally believe that's the truth. So if you have two polar opposites that are that their adherents believe are the truth, then the media looks at it and says, you know what? We're not going to try and decide. This is for the audience to decide. What we're going to do is is carry the points of view. So we will carry this perspective and that perspective. Yes, they clash, and that is the role of media is to provide differing viewpoints and allow an audience at the end of the day to to determine which one fits more comfortably with you know whatever you believe and hold to be sacred to yourself. Now, when it comes to social media, there is none of that sort of judgment that's required or you know, you don't need to be licensed. This is one of the things that happens in journalism is that media outlets tend to be, other newspapers tend to be, uh, broadcasters for sure have to get a license, so they have to appear uh, periodically before a tribunal and say, my coverage has been fair and uh, I am subject to scrutiny and challenge at that point. And and so you actually have to, to kind of try to get the balance. And if you go back, you know, say 100 years, you know, newspapers, for example, were owned by political parties. I mean, uh, there is a reason that virtually every newspaper in North America has a hyphenated name. Uh, the Star Phoenix, the Leader Post, these were two politically opposite parties that actually controlled those papers. And ultimately, when broadcasting came along and this requirement for balanced coverage or providing both sides of the story came along, what they realized was, the one who's providing balance actually has access to 100% of the market for advertising purposes. The newspapers, which are very deemed along political lines, only had, by definition, some portion of the audience's uh, their advertising potential uh, because, you know, if I'm a conservative, I'm not reading the liberal paper and vice versa. And so I would, uh, if I'm an advertiser, I have to buy two. Uh, for if I want the entire audience. Broadcasting made it easy. I bought once and I had everybody. So the newspapers actually caught on to that and started to provide some sort of balance in it. And what they do, they mostly merge the papers. But, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, in the U.S. in particular, the Arkansas Democrat uh, Gazette, right, and the Arizona Republic, now it was the Republican. Um, I mean, those were owned by political parties and the same thing happened here. So, you ended up with the the Star and the Phoenix coming together, and the Leader and the Post, and so on. Uh, but you know, we've pendulum has swung on this. We've we've these things change over time. I mean, what would have been in the 1920s a viewpoint that well, of course, every newspaper owns its own political, or every political party owns its own newspaper. To today, you think, well, that'd be kind of ludicrous, wouldn't it? But you know, social media comes along, and have we maybe just upset the apple cart again? And now we're going to see where this baby's going to go because. Everybody is uh, citizen journalist Joe, and off you go. And and there aren't the same constraints on uh, on balance and um, sensibilities, I guess. And that's why you're starting to see organizations and media or uh, uh, platforms that carry social media are coming under uh, responsibility to actually police their their turf. Like you know, manage the folks that you're giving a voice to. And, uh, you know, Facebook's not happy about that, but this is the natural evolution of what goes on. If you have the Wild West, you're going to have a lot of shootouts. And so eventually structure comes along and uh, some people resist the structure and others embrace it. So that's kind of like always has been the way. But at the end of the day, we're back to this basic premise of minority viewpoints are, are expressed. But at the end of the day, the majority rules. Paul, fantastic insights as ever. I am, you know, 
someone who's deeply interested in in the world of media, broadcast media, print, and and its evolution into the digital age. As such, I try and keep up on these things. And I think that it's something that is easy for a lot of people to say, well, I'm not interested in what's said on social media. I'm not interested in what's being said over here, there, or the other. But actually, if you have that knowledge, if you have access to that information, it's really important to have it to hand. Yeah, you know, you draw a very good point here, Dan. There's one more thing that I think we didn't mention, but it's probably pivotal to this conversation. And I think for all of us as consumers of news and information, we have to become more discriminating. And um, it, it's people can make crap up on uh, social media, and they do every day. And so we have to learn to become just more astute at how we absorb, gather, and collect information. And that just because we saw it on the internet doesn't make it true. Uh, It doesn't even make it remotely factual. So I I think it's important for all of us to understand, here are the rules. These are the basic tenets in it, is that, yes, you have a freedom of expression, but attended with that is some kind of of a requirement or responsibility that if you get a freedom, there's a responsibility that comes with it. So if I'm free to express myself, at least try to make it somewhat accurate rather than, uh, you know, just espousing a viewpoint and trying to make it by yelling louder than the person next door. Just as we come to the end of this, I do have a recommendation of an app for everyone listening. The app is called Ground News. And what the app does is it's an aggregator of news stories from across the internet, from multiple countries, and their AI analyzes the publication, the outlet, and the story, and it measures how the article is written in a particular publication to be center, left of center, right of center, hard left, hard right. And it will give it a score. And you can see the same article, the same news story from multiple outlets and make your own mind up seeing the different take on them. And it is fascinating to then have that education that there are Definitely, you know, media is interpretive. It's it's a, it's effectively an art form. It's that piece in the middle between the facts and us. Paul, a huge thank you for joining us here on the latest episode, episode five. I can't believe this is going so quickly. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Please tell others so that they can access the insights that power Saskatchewan.